Praise God. You can be seated. I want to uh, remind everyone that we have our donation box here. It will be here Sunday as well. And um, thank you for those that have already given towards that. Uh, I won't take the time to run through all of our announcements. I want to um, I want to draw your attention to a couple of scriptures. And I, I asked Bishop if he would take some time as well tonight. So shortly I'll turn this over to him. But I just want to share a few things with you. Um, Brother Timothy, if you could put John 3.16 on the, on the screen there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What are the last two words of that verse? In Bible quizzing they would say it this way. There's a, there is a verse in John chapter 3 that ends with the words everlasting life. Quote this verse. You've got to hit the buzzer. And, but you know the last two words, they are what? Everlasting life. I want you to think about it for just a minute. Um, everlasting life. This is not me just um, playing with words or semantics, but I heard this uh, trying to be put into a Christian context or a biblical context. Um, and somebody said, and they were actually basically using this verse, but um, the words that they used were, God so loved the world. Uh, so on and so forth, that whosoever, so on and so forth, would live forever. And I just want to ask you the question, is it the same thing to live forever and to have everlasting life? And I told you I'm not just uh, playing with words. There's a difference. And there's one one thing to try and structure words in such a way that they fit into a chorus or make uh, a nice sound. And then there is another thing as trying to get proper and correct understanding of what Scripture says. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not interested in living forever. And the Bible doesn't say that we get to live forever. The, the Bible says that he, is given, he has given to us or will give to us everlasting life. The, 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 the crux of this is the life. Everybody say life. life. Everlasting life or eternal life that God gives to us is not you getting to live forever. 
Paul didn't, didn't uh, have the goal of living forever. He said it very plainly, I'm ready to go. I, and, and I, I want to get out of here and be with Christ and die. He said, for me to die is gain. That's the thing I really want to do. And he says it, uh, I'll just give you these scriptures really quickly. In Galatians chapter 2. In one passage he says, I die every single day. I've gotten to the point where either I, either I like to die so much or I don't want to live so much. Right? I think he kind of combines those two and says, if I'm living, there's a problem. Or I know myself well enough to know that if I'm living, there has, has potential to be great problems. So instead, I start my day by not living, by dying. I don't wake up today and say, what am I going to do with my life today? Nope. The first thing that I say is I'm choosing a place of death. When another passage, he says, mortify the deeds of your body. Put to death what you want to do. Galatians 2 and 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I. But Christ liveth in me. That is nothing at all like saying God loves me so much that he's going to let me live forever. God wants me to be so happy that he's not going to let me die. Mm, they're really, really different from one another. Really different. And if I don't understand that, I'm going to wander through this life just thinking or just assuming whatever God's given me, whatever he's blessed me with, whatever he's allowed me to have, I guess that's just the way he wants me to be forever and ever and ever and ever because I'm going to live forever. No. There is, there is a transition from my life to his life. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me, it's Christ. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. We talked about sin on Sunday. And I didn't really have time to go down a road such as this on Sunday, but the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And the gift of God is everlasting life. I don't want to live forever trying to dodge sin. 
That's, that is not a life. That's not a way to live. And I definitely don't want that for all of eternity. Eternal life. Paul says here in Romans 6, verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. It is impossible for a dead man to sin. It's impossible. And I'm not talking about when there's no more blood flowing out of your heart or breath going in and out of your lungs, that kind of dead. The scripture says, our old man is crucified. He that is dead is freed from sin. Now, verse 8, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Now, Paul is writing this in Romans to the church in Rome of people that are alive, people that are living on the earth. He's not writing this to the graveyard and saying, all you dead people, you got it made. No, he's telling alive people, reckon yourselves dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I like the word unto in this passage because to me it gives me direction. If we allow it, it would give us direction for our lives, direction for our days. I am alive. I'm either going to be alive unto this direction or I'm going to be alive unto this direction. To sin or to God. So I choose, and the scripture says, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to to God. So if you've got breath in your lungs, if you've got blood th flowing through your body, you're alive. Choose which direction you're going to go with that life. Towards God and not towards anything else. Amen? Verse 12, let not sin Therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. I'd like you to pinch yourself to make sure you got the thing we call flesh. Yourself, not the person next to you. 
You got that, so you know you got a mortal body. All right? Don't let sin reign in the mortal body. If it, if it is, the answer is mortify the deed of the mortal body. It, I, you can say it till you're blue in the face and sound like a broken record, but really, these are not words, these are actions. To do is an action. And either you're going to do, Paul, Paul says this, I think it's also in Romans, all the things I don't want to do, I'm doing. All the things I want to do, I'm not doing. There's action one way or the other. There's action being done. So, so you choose, you do, you act. Amen. Can we pray, Lord? You are good to us. Father, you love each one of us. You have a will, a plan, a purpose for each life. God, you would desire to accomplish your will through our life. Those things, God, that we want to do and those things that we know you want to do through us, God, they can only be accomplished by your grace. They can only be accomplished through the work of your Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us, Lord, not to yield to our own selves, God, not to lean to our own selves, but to be alive unto you, to live a life, God, that is directed by you. Jesus, you give each one of us 24 hours in a day. You give each one of us the opportunity, God, to pursue you, to pursue the things of your Spirit, the things of your Word. God, you are in charge. You are in charge. I don't want sin to reign. Lord, I want you to reign. I want you to be the king. I want you to be in charge and make the decision. You call the shots, Lord Jesus. Lord, I put my life in your hands. I lean not to my own understanding. I lean not to my own direction, Lord Jesus. God, the Scripture says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Lord, I don't want to be living towards death. I want to be living, God, towards You. Lord, You are the giver of life. You're the giver of eternal life. Lord, but it's life that comes from You. It's not our own desires. It's not our own will, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Elder Flowers. Elder Flowers has been exampling uh, to us tonight ministering. You might notice he, uh, he can be a stickler for words, terms, accuracy of using the right word, because words shape concept. 
Now, I'm a stickler, too. Every once in a while, my wife will slip, and she will say, the Union Gap Church, and I'll say, congregation. She will reference the Sela Church, and I will say, congregation. These words may not be as important to her as they are to me because for me, that's my concept. Okay? Now let's talk about words for a minute or two. Every once in a while, somebody might approach somebody who just ministered from this standpoint and say, I liked your sermon. Yet in reality, we don't write sermons. Uh, okay? I want to talk to you a little bit about concept. And I'll, I'll stick with the concept of Life Church and the ministry of Life Church. But let me bring it down a little closer. The ministry right here. Elder Flowers doesn't write sermons. Elder Hart don't write sermons. If he does, he don't get away with it for very long. We engage in ministry. We fellowship God. We commune with God, and the Lord leads, inspires, talks to us, brings scriptures to mind. And when you see Elder Flowers over here and he's thumbing through his iPhone, which will soon be an iPad, he's going from Scripture to Scripture. He's grabbing, he's uh, maybe copying and pasting, I don't know. But he's being led down a road and he's looking and he's searching. So when he comes and stands here and he begins to communicate to us, he is being led of God for now for us. I'll tell you, many, many times the Lord speaks to me through Brother Flower's ministry. Not his, not his sermons. I'll, 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 I'll use this. I'll give you a little room. Message. But really what it is, it's ministry. Spirit-led ministry. Amen? Spirit-led ministry. Now... I was in the car on the way down here, and the Lord brought to my remembrance a situation. Elder Flowers had already said, hey, take a little bit of time tonight, if you would. And So, this is the way it works for me. I'm assuming God's going to have me share that in some portion, because there's somebody that it's going to relate to, and it's going to help them. To receive the engrafted word of God. Or receive spiritual ministry. Now listen, I know we focus the, around the word of God for all of our ministry. But it doesn't mean I'm going to quote a scripture out of the Bible to you. Always. When there's spiritual ministry taking place. Okay. 
So there's a, there's a man I know. I met him a long time ago. Used to live just a few blocks from here. He was five years old. He grew. He got involved in teaching. He became the adult Bible class teacher. He went away to college. When he got out of college, he moved over to the west side and began to attend church in the Puyallup Congregation. Did you follow that line? He was a Bible teacher. He sat for two years in Puyallup. Very talented. Very intellectually sharp. Very educated. And I couldn't afford to have him teach based on him leaning on these developed strengths. That's not being led by the Holy Ghost. That is leaning on talent, strength, ability. He had it all. He never came to me and he said, Bishop, when are you going to use me? He never came to me. Two years. Now, there, nobody set a time slot. Nobody said, this is, you know, I want to see you sit there for two years and then we'll talk about it. There was none of that. He, he was now involved there where I felt like the spiritual ministry that was taking place would develop his ability to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost and not lean on his own strengths yeah. and develop a sermon, preach a message, teach. Okay, we just, we just, I never felt it until I did. Now he's one of our primary ministers. I've taken him on trips out of the country with me. Now, the Lord rehearsed that all with me on my drive down here tonight. You're welcome, Brother Weaver. Concept. There's a lot of things that have developed in church dumb. Not, not dumb church, but you know what I'm saying. In uh, religious circles that are very religious and very sacred and very churchy. Okay? When you, when you take churchy and then you go and you begin to read through the book of Acts and then the, the letters, the epistles and those things that were written, sometimes you have a hard time. You know, overlaying the two. 
I remember when I first began to consider the, you know, three songs, take an offering, preach a sermon. That seemed to be every church service. Three songs, take an offering, preach a sermon. And I would go into the Bible, and we were calling ourselves, we're apostolic, we're Pentecostal, we are, and I'm, and I'm looking and I'm thinking, when did they start all that? And, you know, the laity clergy idea and all of these churchy concepts. And so anyway, it just caused me to back up and go back and look in the Word and then try to redefine in, I suppose, at least several situations and ask the questions, why do we do what we do? Why do we do this? Why do we do this this way? I don't even read that in there. And I'm thinking somebody came up with this somewhere along the line. I'm going to say something here. A lot of what has become church in North America was taken from a pattern of church uh, leadership, laity, clergy out of the Catholic Church. And then you saw liturgies. And then you saw, uh, you know, a, a, a twist here, a twist there, a little change here, a little change there. But then you see a reformation taking place. People saying, I want to go back to the basics. I want to go back to the book. I want to see what the book says. I want to do things the way I read in the book of Acts. And these, this is how people begin to look into the Word of God and define, so when do people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Oh, they begin to speak with other tongues. So they begin to pray and people receive the Holy Ghost. And then they begin to baptize in Jesus' name. That was called the new issue. It's because people went back and looked in the book and said, let's do things this way. Waiting on God. Seeking His face in prayer. Waiting for Him. Not moving without Him. And so I think uh, in many areas, not just in one or two, but places not just in North America, but around the world, we are seeing a, a I mean, we're seeing a lot of, because people move in many directions. But there is a growing hunger for what people read in the book to experience in their own lives. The supernatural, the evidence of the hand of God, spiritual utterance, and not just liturgy and repeating and rote, learning by rote. The Lord didn't talk to me about that on the way down here. John chapter 13. Now. I shared the story of the young man. He's not so young anymore. But I shared the story because he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for what we needed him to be ready to do. 
because of the pattern that had been established needed to be broken. And there had to be a restart, a, what do we call that nowadays? Reboot, that's a little old, that's like 8086 computers. Refresh, a, uh, a what? Reset, there we go, 2020, finally. A reset, people need a reset. Well, he needed a reset, and he did. I, I got to tell you, I was, I was deeply moved when he uh, ministered in the Philippines. When we went there, he went on that trip, and the Lord really used him. Um, I'm so thankful that he did not abort the process and eject because I didn't call on him for two years. Okay. Now, there's an element of that that we're gonna, I'm going to show you in the Word here. John chapter 13. I spoke from this chapter in Selah on Sunday morning. Now, I'm not going to redo what I did, but this hasn't left me. Okay? How God is dealing with me about this and the significance of it, it hasn't left me, and so I'm going to stay right here. Now, if it, if it doesn't leave me next week and I go to Puyallup, I'm going to stay right there. Again, this isn't the re-preaching of a sermon. We don't, we don't do that. But the Spirit of God doesn't operate the way men does. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, they, they are coming to a meal. They are having what was called the last supper before the betrayal in the garden, which got Jesus arrested, taken before the Sanhedrin, and eventually to the cross. This is a very significant Meal, not the food, the gathering. He knows what time it is. He knows what's just ahead. And so, you think this is casual conversation? You think it's joke time? Do you think it's just, you know... You think he chose his words carefully, knowing what time it was. Okay, so he sets the stage. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God, 
That's the body, the holy thing which was born of Mary. He rises. Wait a minute. They're at the supper table. It's, it's common practice in that day that men would wear sandals in that part of the country. And when they came into a home, they would remove their sandals. And there would be a servant there with a basin of water. And they would then kneel to a seated person, a standing person, I don't know, but they would wash the guest, the visitor's feet. Well, arrangements had been made for a room, and arrangements had been made for a meal, but there were no services or servants. There was no attendance. There was nobody there. And so when 12 men... Peers, one of another, walked into the room. <laughs> they just sat down. They're peers. <laughs> Get away from me. You're not touching my... He rises from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And I'm thinking... You could hear a needle drop. And they cannot believe what he's doing. Maybe they're even rehearsing the moments when they walked in the door and they, they looked and they, they knew and they avoided and they sat. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now. The significance, the importance of what's taking place right now. He knowing the hour. He knowing what is just ahead. What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know Thereafter, Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Now he's embarrassed. 
And Jesus answers him, If I wash thee not, if you don't participate in what I am doing here now among you, thou hast no part with me. I've been trying to develop you for the last three years. I've been trying to, pre to prepare you for the last three years. And if you don't get this, you got no business sitting at the table tonight. They were peers, one to the other. And he's dealing with their attitude and their spirit, one to the other. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. This is an embarrassed guy trying to recover. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, You are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken, had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Here we are at the close of this really three and a half years. Just before he is betrayed, taken before the Sanhedrin, and to the cross. Not long before his ascension. And he takes this time, this moment, to reveal one of the most significant concepts, ideas, attitude, attitude, one toward another. The esteeming of others better than ourselves. I can remember my first foot washing service. They announced and said, we're going to meet here on New Year's Eve and we're going to stay up 
till midnight. We're going to watch the new year come in, and I'm an early go to bed, early get her upper. What time are we starting? Eight o'clock. That's four hours. What are we going to do for four hours? It went by like that. It wasn't until midnight. I, well, I think we took communion at midnight. But by the time we, we you mean we're going to take our shoes off? We're going to, what, what do you mean? I'd never heard of such a thing. Wow. By the end of that night, I was converted. <laughs> you know, this all began with a phone call. I got a phone call from an elder, and the elder said, I wanted to run something by you. Get your thoughts. I said, okay. He said, uh, I w I'd like to uh, maybe use somebody for, to head up a project. And uh, just wanted to see what you thought. Told me the details. Well, something came to me. And so I, this is what I shared with him. Well... I'm recalling the last conversation that you had with him. He spoke to you as his peer. You're not his peer. You're his elder. I said, you put him in a situation where he's going to be responsible of putting this project together with many others. That's a lot of risk because you saw how he talked to you. Well, you got a good point there. See, there are some situations, there's some attitudes, there's some things that have got to come under. Not just the blood. But spiritually, when the Bible speaks of us being submitted one to another. He spoke to them as peers and said, if I do this to you. Being your Lord and master. How much more ought you to do it one to the other? Now, let me swing this all the way back to where we started here. I knew the abilities and the talents of what that young man could do. But I knew he had to be led of the Spirit of God in all of his doing if he was going to mesh together as a ministry team, it had to be recognizable. We had to see it. 
it became necessary to wait. Jesus said to Peter, you don't know and you don't understand the significance of this right now. See, they, they didn't know what was ahead. He did. They didn't know what they would have to go through for his sake. He did. And so there was no sidestepping. There was no workarounds. Well, you know, yeah, but come on. They're in. Now, let me go back to this phone call situation. He and I have dialogued and said, man, I see the call of God on them. I really believe the Lord wants to use them. But we got this situation here. It's premature. Because if a man can talk to his elder like he's talking to a peer. And he gets into a situation where he's coordinating a group of men. And their situations arise. What attitude is he going to approach it with? I've been put in charge. Concept. We're talking concept here. The Holy Ghost knows where we are. Every individual, each one in the house, our place in the body. And so, we've got to have a confidence and a trust. You know, the beautiful thing about watching somebody being led of God while they are ministering, it brings to you a confidence that they can hear from God. Not just to teach a, a lesson, but on our behalf. I said to you, many times when Elder Flowers is ministering, the Lord is talking right at me. And I'm thinking, wow, I hope he doesn't know the Lord's talking to me that much. But I've stood with those shoes, so I know. I have a confidence in, uh, in where Elder Flowers will take this. But I'm, I'm going to share something with you. I want to share this piece with you. I only went to Sela the other morning because I felt like I was supposed to go to Sela. With every intention, we'd escape out of there quickly and get over to here because we wanted to be here. When I was called on, I knew God was giving me a window. I'm going to talk about this situation and did. Now, this is apostolic ministry. Elder Hart had came that morning, and I would dare say he probably had something on his mind, something in his spirit, a direction he was ready to go. But after I took my 15 minutes, he only continued on there 
for the next, I don't know how long. And then they came back that evening and had a foot washing service. Now, we didn't talk, we didn't dialogue about this, but I would dare say that wasn't the direction he had that morning. It was the Holy Ghost that intervened and said, this is the way we're going. And he easily followed. Now, that's the ministry of life, church. That, that can happen in any of our congregations at any time. It's because that's how the ministry has developed over the years. Never taught a class about it. It's just how it developed as we were willing vessels. Now, he said that the, the foot washing service went on for two hours. He said half of the people there had never been to one. He said it's likely that Thursday will be eaten up with just testimonies. I can't wait. Now, we didn't send out an announcement to all the elders and say, okay, all elders have a foot washing service. Take communion. It's the first of the year. We don't do it. I can, I can remember as well when we, we broke from the pattern. I remember one year, because it had been a pattern, that when New Year's Eve came around, we said, number one, we're not staying up till midnight. You guys want to stay up till midnight? Have at it. And went to bed. Somewhere mid-year, the Holy Ghost began to deal with us about a communion service. Somewhere along the line, we did some foot washing things. We did it. Okay? It's just we don't systematically, according to a calendar, because the ministry that takes place every week, it's whatever God has led in this location, in that location, with, with whatever uh, elder is in charge. We have a confidence in that. We don't make comparisons. Uh, you know, I wanted to say this earlier. Elder Flowers was exampling ministry earlier. He was also exampling his calling as a shepherd. A lot of the ministry that comes through Elder Flowers is shepherding ministry. Pastoral. Shepherding. Same thing. Yet he also stands here and examples the office of an elder. He's one person. The Lord wants to operate through all of our lives in some function or fashion of the body, not just the assembly. Okay? 
And the, the, let me tell you, the key, the key is the ministry of the elder. Because what's exampled will be reproduced. Let me give you another concept. You tell what you know. You reproduce what you are. Can I say that again? You tell what you know. You reproduce what you are. Prayerful, waiting on God, ministering, being led of God, will be reproduced in every aspect of the assembly. I've witnessed it. Almost 40 years. Amen. Elder Flowers. Amen. It, it's easy and it's hard. Apostolic ministry. It's hard if you are trying to do anything else. It's easy if you're not. You know, easy would be if every first Sunday of the year you get a message about new beginnings and every May you get a message about being a good mother and every June you get a message about being a good father and every July you get a message about being a good American and every November you get a message about remembering to honor the veterans and every December you get a message about the birth of Jesus Christ. That's easy. That's easy. In in some ways. But apostolic ministry is easy if you just decide I'm getting all of that out of the way. And I'm just going to let the Lord do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. I'll tell you what gets hard is when you do things for more than one year. And January rolls around again, you think, wait a second, I preached this last January. Or May rolls around, you think, oh, wait, we did that last year for the moms. You know what I'm saying. It gets difficult because you're going to try to think, how am I going to top what we did last year? And I got to do something better than what I did last year. There's a term for that, pressure. Spoken or unspoken. Given or received. Because you can, you can easily pressure yourself into sitting there we, I'd say you, we can, can pressure ourselves into thinking, why am I in a situation where I'm not getting what I think I'm supposed to get? Because I think the first, the first Sunday in January, the pastor is supposed to preach about 
new beginnings and not preach about sin or whatever we talked about. And then you, you can internalize that pressure and start to examine yourself and say, I could easily be getting what I want to get through some, through some other means. But the question is, am I going to seek what I want or am I going to surrender to what God wants? I don't think I can. <laughs> you know, the hardest service of the year is Easter. I'm talking from, from me, and I've got a few years of experience with this now. The hardest service of the year is Easter because if you don't preach about the crucifixion on Easter, something must be wrong with you. What if the Lord decides to deal with tithes that day? You're going to choose? Am I going to see, hang on, how can I fit the crucifixion into tithing? That's what I, you see what I mean? It, it, it's, it's, it's difficult if you're going to try to approach the things of the Spirit through natural means. Now, Easter is the hardest one. The second one's probably Mother's Day. Not Christmas. Every week we can talk about something to do with Christmas if we want to. But on Mother's Day, and I love my mom. I love all of our moms. But on Mother's Day, if you don't spend the time recognizing how wonderful the mothers are, Something must be wrong with you. What if the Lord decides he, knew, he wants to minister on baptism that day? Or fathers. Lord forbid. Now, I remember, uh, I think it was our first year, and I think it was on, um, I think it was on Mother's Day. It was one of those holidays that the Lord ended up gearing every bit of the ministry towards the young people. And it was powerful. And it had nothing to do with Mother's Day. Other than the fact that the moms got to be happy their kids were getting ministered to. But you see what I'm saying? You, the, the, the scripture says, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? And that's a rhetorical question asked because the answer is obviously no. You can't take something that the spirit births and then perfect it through your fleshly means, through your fleshly ideas or, or activities or whatever you want to assign to it. If it's spirit, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It doesn't matter how good I think the idea is. It doesn't matter how much I think it would go over well or make most people happy if it's born of the flesh is the calendar 
spiritually or fleshly derived? Just ask. I'm not going to even answer that one. Just let yourself answer that. The calendar that we have, 12 months, 30-ish days in each month, is that spiritually derived or fleshly derived? Seasons are spiritual. Genesis, you get that in Genesis chapter 1. You know right away the earth is going to do this, and then it's going to do this, and then it's going to do this, and then it's going to do that thing again. Because seasons have to happen in order for life to happen as God ordained it. But we decided, I say we, humans decided, all right, about this day of that season, we got to make sure we do this every year. Now, it, it's not all. Now, think about the, the Old Testament. How much often the Lord would say, do this every year to remember this. You, you, you come back around to this month and you're going to have this meal because it's going to remind you, and that's spiritual in nature. Okay? That's a, that's a command from God. He would say every year at this time, have this fast or have this celebration or have this meal because you're, I, I need you to do that because I need you at least once a year to remind yourself of what I did for you. That's spiritual in nature, okay? But saying there's a, there's a really important football game played every February, so let's make sure we put something on the calendar that coincides with that really important football game. I'm just saying what's spiritual and what's flesh. Amen? Why don't we stand? Lord, we're listening for the voice of your spirit. I thank you for speaking to me tonight, Father. I believe that you would continue to let this word produce in us what you desire to produce. I believe, Father, I know that the Spirit is speaking to the church. God, I know that your voice is calling to us. You gave us ministry to perfect us, God to perfect your church, to perfect your body so that the work of ministry could be done in the earth. Lord, that is your purpose. That is your desire. We submit to it tonight, Lord Jesus. We surrender to it tonight, Lord God. Come on, just let the Lord deal with you. This is an individual subject that the Lord's dealing with right now. It's about me. It's about what I need to hear. It's about Him dealing with me and my thoughts, my concepts. Am I going to get in line with Him? Am I going to align myself with Him? Jesus, I give You all that I have. Lord, I put it all in Your hands right now. God, I surrender it all to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I want you to direct my days. I want you to direct my weeks, Lord, my months. God, I want you to direct all of it. 
Father, in your name, Father, in your name, I surrender to you right now. Come on, I think it'd be good if you just raise your hands and surrender to the Lord. I surrender all to you right now, Jesus. God, I give you myself. All that I have to give, Lord, it belongs to You. It came from You in the beginning, Lord. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Your grace. I wouldn't be here, Lord, if it wasn't for Your mercy on my life. Lord, I acknowledge You right now as the King. I acknowledge You right now, Lord Jesus. I put my life in Your hands, O God. Touch my mind, Lord Jesus. Anoint my mind, Lord God, to hear and to know the things of Your Spirit. To know what is the mind of Christ. To know what is the desire of the Spirit. Lord, I want things to be birthed in me of Your Spirit. God, I want words to be birthed in me of Your Spirit. I want spiritual concepts, Lord Jesus. God, I want to have spiritual understanding. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I surrender it all to You. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
Come on, if you want to find somebody and pray with them, this is a good time to do it. The Spirit of the Lord is here. We're just waiting, yielding ourselves to Him. In the name of Jesus, see kasa tahaye, ye andolodomos.